Hello and welcome to The Woman Who. I'm Zowie Ashton, and in this series, I'll be bringing you the remarkable stories of Britain's most inspirational women of the last 140 years. These are the tales of the true pioneers of music, literature, the performing arts, and fashion. Women who have defied convention, broken boundaries, and pushed the limits of what's possible. I'll be taking a deep dive into the lives of these trailblazers, reliving their struggles and setbacks, their loves and losses, and how they overcame every obstacle in their path to achieve unimaginable success. These women are the real deal, the true influencers of their day. This is a tale of the woman who conquered the catwalk, creative genius, pioneering businesswoman, and designer to the stars, Lucy Christiana. Born in London in 1863, Lucy rose from being a penniless single mother to become the most in-demand women's clothes designer of her day. Throughout her glamorous and slightly scandalous life, she innovated new trends in fashion that liberated women from their suffocating Victorian garments and into a more beautiful, comfortable and confident era. And in a time when women were barred from most forms of work, Lucy blazed a trail through the fashion world, designing dresses for the actresses, princesses, it girls and new money millionaires of London, Paris, New York and beyond. If it weren't for Lucy's extraordinary talents, the fashion world as we know it would not exist today. For all her later glamour though, Lucy could not have had a less elegant childhood. After her father died of typhoid when she was only two, she moved to Canada to live with her strict religious grandparents. Lucy felt stifled in their home, and so she escaped as much as she could to play outside on the land. She learned to stick firm on the back of a bucking steer and watched in fascination as the yardman killed the chickens for their supper. Lucy was a tomboy through and through, but she also loved to sew dresses for her dolls, inventing new designs that were the envy of her school friends. Designing these clothes was an escape from a dreary life under her grandmother's severe glare. It also developed into a talent that would one day change her life in ways she could only dream of. After Lucy's mother remarried, the family relocated to Jersey, where she entered her tempestuous teenage years. Lucy attracted a string of suitors, but after she was jilted by her first true love, she decided to marry the next man who proposed in order to make her ex jealous. This was how she made a rather unhappy marriage in 1884 to James Stuart Wallace, a wine merchant with a bad reputation who was much older than her. The two had a child, Esme, but it was not long before James abandoned them both to run off with a chorus girl. 
This wouldn't be a pleasant experience in any decade, but in the 1890s, it was ruinous. Lucy was left penniless, with a daughter to support all on her own. She took the unusual step to obtain a legal divorce over the protestations of her family. In that time, as Lucy put it, a woman who divorced her husband was considered not quite nice, no matter what a scoundrel he had been. Throughout her life, though, Lucy never let the judgment of others get in her way. She was determined to find a way to not only support herself, but find fulfillment in her work. And so Lucy returned to the talent she had developed as a child, dressing up her dolls. She decided to become a dressmaker and set to work cutting out her designs on her dining room floor, doing her best to keep her daughter's sticky fingers away from the fabrics. Initially, Lucy designed dresses for her sister, Eleanor, which attracted the envy of a few society women. And soon enough, the Maison Lucille was up and running, moving in 1897 to a large house in London's Hanover Square. Rich women of the time required a huge amount of clothing, and the carriages of high society ladies blocked traffic in Hanover Square as they came in for fittings, consultations, and of course, tea and gossip. Lucy's success flowed from her novel approach as a designer. She believed that each woman's unique nature should inspire the design of her dress. She spent days getting to know women before creating unique styles which would become known as personality dresses. I always saw the woman, Lucy explained, not the frock as detached from her, and so women loved my clothes, because women are above all other things, personal in every thought and action. Always seeking new ways to market her brand, she decided in 1903 to try something completely new and revolutionary, a mannequin parade, the very first fashion show. Lucy recruited six unknown beauties from throughout London, gave them alluring character names like Gamela, and coached them in their movements until those six simple young girls, as she called them, had become the incarnation of enchanting womanhood. Then Lucy dressed up her showroom with a thick, rich carpet, a small stage, and misty olive chiffon curtains to create a dreamy atmosphere. At last, filled with anxiety at the prospect of failure and ridicule, she invited London society to witness for the first time designs in motion. Anyone who was anyone simply had to be there to see it for themselves. It was a triumph, and the orders poured in from the enchanted guests. Lucy was thrilled, and the mannequins themselves were launched to overnight fame. The press called them Lucille's Mysterious Beauties, and according to Lucy, they had some of the richest men of the day at their feet. With the Lucille brand established in London, 
Lucy set her sights on new markets. She traveled to New York, where the allure of old world refinement took new money Americans by storm. Bolder still, she set up a shop in Paris, the global epicenter of fashion. Against all odds, Lucy convinced the Parisians of the chicness of her English designs, all while leading a fabulous social life among the city's artistic set. The days of cutting out designs on her dining room floor were long gone. Now she was one of the world's foremost fashion designers. In the midst of her success, Lucy fell in love with Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, a wealthy landowner whom she called the great love of her life. They had to wait until after his mother died in order to get married, since she greatly disapproved of his marrying a working divorcee. Despite designing the finest wedding dresses for so many elite brides, Lucy herself got married in what she called an old frock, blissfully happy, and became Lady Duff Gordon. To the great shock of many virtuous ladies and gentlemen, Lucy was also a pioneer in lingerie. She hated to know that her beautiful dresses were being worn over frumpy old garments, and so she opened a department for underclothes as delicate as cobwebs and as beautifully tinted as flowers, as she described them. When one gentleman visiting her London fashion house with his wife spotted these silky creations, he berated Lucy. No virtuous woman would be seen in such things, he huffed. I'm sorry you feel like that about it, she replied, because they're just going home to your wife, who has ordered them. In 1912, Lucy's runaway success and her life nearly came to an abrupt end. Lucy and Cosmo booked a first-class passage aboard the new luxurious liner, the Titanic. On the night of April 14th, they were awoken from their sleep by the ship's collision with an iceberg and told to don their lifebelts. Unsure at first what to do, as chaos erupted on board, Lucy and Cosmo found a calm scene on the starboard side of the ship, where a waiting lifeboat sat mostly empty. Women and children were given priority, but Lucy refused to leave the ship without Cosmo. Since the lifeboat had plenty of room, the seamen relented and allowed him to board as well. In the months following the tragedy, though, Cosmo was branded a coward in the tabloid press because he had survived when so many women and children had not. Headlines blared about the Duff Gordon scandal, and Lucy wrote regretfully that the shame and false rumours would follow him until his dying day. After all, it was she who had insisted he board the lifeboat.
Despite this sad scandal, Lucy's business continued to thrive. At the peak of her success, Lucy presided over one of the highest-priced couture brands in the world, earning a personal fortune of $2 million in the year 1918 alone, a figure worth nearly £30 million today. Though her business stopped trading in the early 1920s, Lucy's legacy has long outlived her. She was an innovator, both of fashion and of fashion marketing. Through her mannequin parades and her unique designs, Lucy showed that a woman's beauty derives not only from her dress, but her character. She created clothes that were joyful and romantic, rather than prisons of stiff cloth, inspiring future generations of women designers. Most of all, just as she refused to stifle women's bodies in bone collars and corsets, she also refused to stifle herself in a conventional life. Lucy's legacy is one of freedom, liberating women to follow their passions, not the expectations of others. The Woman Who podcast series has been brought to you by Fennec, the UK's department store of distinction since 1882. Tune in each week to uncover the story of a new inspirational woman and head to fennec.co.uk for more info and celebrations on their 140th anniversary of empowering women through the circus of life. The Woman Who is a Radio Wolfgang production written by Hannah Jewell and read by me, Zowie Ashton. The producer is Kieran Carruthers, sound design is by Ivor Manley and the executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. Martino.